Ladies and gentlemen, as you know, we have something special down here at Birdland this evening. A recording for Blue Note Records. I'm John Reed, you're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, and this is Race to the Bottom. Bibbidi-bop. Bibbidi-bop. Let's just jam out to us three for a minute. Cantaloupe. Yeah. <clears throat> Dancing and prancing, stopping and popping. Once again, Race to the Bottom. Cruising and bruising, styling and profiling, isolating and devastating. If you don't know who I'm quoting, it's the wonderful New York Knicks announcer Walt Frazier. It looked like the Knicks were maybe gonna figure out a way to be decent this year, and I got excited for a little, for a couple games. And they started stumbling and bumbling, hacking and whacking. And um, I started uh, stopping and turning the game off, right? Hope you guys are doing well. Weird, weird, weird times. I talked to uh, Tom Demena. We had a good talk. I'm excited for you guys to hear that. I'm just coming off an upper endoscopy. My tum-tum is uh, still not quite right. I think that my digestive system might have been one of the casualties of this past year. And um, I, But I do know one thing that makes it feel better, and that's this. Uh, uh, that's good. I'm drinking it right now. Winslow tea. Thank you, as always, to Winslow for supporting this and every monologue. Hashtag your tea drinking experiences and your slurping experiences with hashtag how you know or hashtag enhance slurp to enhance. That's what it is. Hashtag slurp to enhance and slurp into the conversation. Why don't you? Yeah, so I, I went, took the ferry across the river, the river sticks. No. Took the ferry across the river to a endoscopy lab, which on the outside just said endo lab. And if you are a uh, Snoop Dogg fan, I thought it was maybe something else. The endo, it's a nickname for Mary Jane. But no Mary Jane was to be had, unless it was, she was one of the nurses 
but I did not have her as a nurse. Had a Ukrainian woman, and they hooked me up to a heart monitor. I was nervous. I don't know why it was. It, it just felt like felt isolating. I went there by myself, and you know, I knew I had to get a tube stuck down my throat into my stomach and get put out, put down for the count. And because they hooked me up to the heart rate monitor, they, she could tell I was nervous, so she had to talk me down. It is not that bad. I have had procedure here too, and I was nervous, but it was fine. It was six years ago. We never have problem. She got me prepped for the procedure, and I just kept thinking about... It's dark, but worth thinking about. I kept thinking about all the people who have had to go to the hospital this year with COVID by themselves and die. With no family. How terrifying it's been for thousands of people. So dark times, man. But they rolled me in and my uh, they put me on a different heart machine. And same readout. The gastro, gastroenterologist and the, I guess the lady was the, what do you call the person? Anesthesiologist. They both told me to calm the F down. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't going to be that bad. That'd be crazy to always have a heart monitor on on display at all times. People tell you if you're nervous. You're getting nervous, man. Like Biden said to that reporter. But I was so kind of out of sorts that I knew they were going to put me out, but You know, as I've talked about on the show, sometimes I have trouble sleeping and it feels like uh, even if I like took like an Ambien or something, it wouldn't work, you know, that like hopped up on adrenaline. So I thought to myself, this this isn't going to work. They aren't going to be able to put me down. (laughs) Um, And that was one of the last thoughts I had. And fade to black. And then when I woke up, I, I asked the um, the attendant who kind of brought me to. My first question was, was this, was the drug that you gave me the same one that they gave Michael Jackson? He said, yes. I had jokes. Or or uh, actual serious questions. I've always thought it was amazing that Michael Jackson had such trouble sleeping that he needed to he needed like an anesthesiologist. Good old Conrad Murray, right? Rest in peace. No, I don't think he's dead. But yeah, I'm in a weird mood. But I do have things to lift me up 
and they will hopefully lift you up as well. And they can all be contained in a segment of the show that I like to call Recommended. It's a recommendation. 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 It's a recommendation. I haven't gotten to watch the whole thing. I caught the second half. Going to catch the first half. But there's this thing on CNN, Jimmy Carter, rock and roll president. It's really interesting. It's right down my alley. Music and politics. And uh, man, all the all the concerts and musicians he had there. Jazz dudes. Ed Mingus there and Dizzy Gillespie and all these folks. Ron Carter. Then he had like uh, Willie Nelson. And he's like, Willie Nelson seemed to be Jimmy Carter's favorite. I didn't realize how... Uh, how like cool people thought Jimmy Carter was, you know, and then it eventually gets to the whole Iranian hostages thing, which kind of sunk him. But I didn't know, uh, you know, he could have gone harder. I guess people thought he was too indecisive, but I did not know that during Jimmy Carter's four years in office, no bombs were dropped, missiles fired, no guns shot at another country. That's that's quite commendable. My estimation of Jimmy Carter really rose watching this thing. Unsung hero, maybe. Maybe? But I recommend that, and I recommend you check out... Um, I talked about this guy, David Ritz, the, the biographer, who was on... WTF with Mark Maron uh, like last week but this guy he, he was very close to Marvin Gaye and he helped write uh, co-write Sexual Healing which is a great story that he tells which I'm not going to tell you I'm going to let him tell it if you listen to the podcast but I will say what I will tell you is that he kept talking about how the album Hear My Dear is maybe Marvin Gaye's unsung masterpiece. Speaking of unsung, unsung glory of Jimmy Carter and and Marvin Gaye's unsung album, Hear My Dear, which he wrote during his messy breakup divorce with his wife, who was the daughter of Barry Gordy, the owner of Motown, so it was pretty crazy. But this album is, is amazing. And it tells the story kind of a, it's a concept album. It tells the story of, of their love and it's very personal and has like a narrative arc. And I'm still diving into it, but it reminds me um, of, for those who are a big fan of Andre 3000's album, Love Below, I think that there's definitely some links I'd be interested in if Andre 3000 knew about Here My Dear, concept albums about love. And we'll we'll uh, do a round of sound and we'll start with the title track from Here My Dear by Marvin Gaye. And then I've been meaning to play this song for a while. Bobby McFerrin, Sweet in the Morning. So good. Off of his 1990 album Medicine Music. And I've been a big Bobby McFerrin fan for a long time. But that album was not on my radar. My wife's family were big medicine music people. 
and it's it's a good one and uh we'll rock out to sweet in the morning and then in my continuing appreciation of stevie wonder album hotter than july another unsung gem we'll hear rocket love which has the cold cold world that was kind of interpolated on the Jizza Liquid Swords album, for those of you keeping track of that. And then we'll hear from uh, Tom. You're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, and this is Race to the Bottom. Out in the street, they call it Race to the Bottom. I guess I'll have to say this album is dedicated to you. Although perhaps I may not be happy This is what you want So I've conceded I would make you happy There's a lot of truth in it, baby I don't think I'll have Any regrets, baby Things didn't have to be way that was, baby. You don't have the right to use a son of mine. Keep me in line. Something I can't do without is the voice God So here it is. I hope you enjoy. Reminisce. Be happy. Think about the kisses, the joy. But there were those other moments too. Times cloudy and gray. Taught me that was life. May love ever possess you. May peace come into your life. This is what you wanted. Here, dear, my dear. Here it is. Here, my dear. Here it is. Sweet and morning. Hold on. It's sweet. Sweet in the morning, sweet in the morning, 
Tom. Hi, John. What's up, man? Oh, it's good to uh, talk to an old friend. <sighs> yeah. Oh, how'd you sleep last night? Well, I slept. I woke up once, as per usual. Mm-hmm. But my wife did not wake up, which was very comforting. Because usually, I don't know, there's been a pattern where I wake up and then she wakes up. And then it's just kind of tough to get back to sleep for both of us. And then you just start to kind of hate the situation of mm-hmm. <laughs> the pandemic. <laughs> and then you get to a dark place and then you haven't really slept well. And then you're cranky and it just seems to go on and on. But that didn't happen last night. I feel like there's like an electricity between the two people in bed when they're both kind of having trouble sleeping where it like you keep one another awake almost because of some kind of like psychic force. Yeah. And you become really attuned to it. Yeah. Um, we, we, she was not feeling relaxed. So then we just talked and we, she had some stuff on her mind work. And then that energy field subsided, but we didn't know we could both feel it. We didn't know what, what it was. And then in this case, we fixed it. It's probably, we, we're doing this 30 fad. <laughs> I hate doing a fad diet, but we're doing it because a lot of people that we know are doing it and, and say it's been, it's been really good just to clear out the body. Um, no sugar, no sugar at all for 30 days. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's where we had the wherewithal to kind of like, you know, have a conversation and get some sleep before it. You know, before you blacked it out with a couple martinis. Sometimes you both, like, when you both can't sleep, it's good to just, like, talk until you both fall asleep. You feel like it's going to wake you back up to talk, but sometimes it's just, like, you talk it out and you're good. Yeah, yeah. We did watch a movie in bed, which we don't like doing. Yeah. Um, we watched, and it was a, it was the perfectly mediocre film to fall asleep to. The day after tomorrow. <laughs> uh huh. You know, know that it. movie? No. It's this terrible, like you know, I don't know, one of the early digital end of the world. Okay. Hollywood blockbusters with like Jake Gyllenhaal. But I actually enjoyed it. You know, you never know. You just never know, John. That's what I'm trying to say. Is that in where the world of film? Does that involve like Mexicans? No. Okay. <laughs> There was some. There was one like that where it was like there was like no Mexicans all of a sudden. I guess that would be a different type of movie. I, I'm not familiar with with that film that you're talking about, but I, it, I don't doubt that it exists. It might be called The Day That There Were No Mexicans or something like that. And it's about like how the society falls apart, you know. Well, I thought that the the day after tomorrow was one of the worst movie titles ever, and that's why I had my my Dukes up. Yeah, this movie. Um, you know, it's hard to come up with a, a title these days. I feel like movie titles are just—they're just really these these writers are just like flat out running out of ideas. Yeah. You know, <laughs> the banker, <laughs> the trip, the laundromat, <laughs> marriage story. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
How did uh, speaking of the laundromat? How did your um, are you still going to the same laundromat with the with the <laughs> Italian uh, jerk off guy? No, we have. Oh, you we have our own a house. laundry situation, and it, it has really been one of the great privileges of my life is to use this um, top of the line washer and dryer that came with the house that we were in. But I did drive by the old laundromat just the other day. I looked out the window. I leered out the window just to see if I could see his fat head. Yeah. And wondered what I would do if we were to meet again. He was probably in D.C. You know, they just wrote an article about, um, in the local paper here in Portland, about the owner of the moving facility that we were using, um, or the storage facility that we were using. Mm Mm-hmm. Being um, a part of the mob uh, in the uh, wow. in the Portland Press Herald, uh, and we remember thinking ca- capital mob, not the not the uh, gabagool mob, <laughs> right? That's right. Okay. Um, uh, part of the Trump uh, fanatics that stormed, broke in to the Capitol, and wait, uh, what? What happened? Killed. Killed a guy with a fire extinguisher. I know. facility company that we were like really freaked out about we saw the banners and just had an eerie vibe it's it's it just hits home when with i just i don't know i'm glad that they're putting a spotlight on this guy in the paper yeah. you know he, and then every so, paper across the country is probably is, doing that yeah well storage facility guys that's like that's up there near the top of like a profession where you're probably up to no good like yeah. that and like a tow truck tow truck people they might be that might be the worst uh, <laughs> people who are in the tow truck business I can't think of what are the worst like types what Waste are the jobs <laughs> what are the worst jobs like or the jobs that you know maybe I, you could argue cops but like the jobs that attract the worst type of people, what are they? I don't know. Uh, you know, that's a complicated question. You know, what's a, what's a really bad person? Um, I, I, you know, I've started to really rethink the whole animosity I've had towards business. And, um, you know, I, I was raised in, in Darien, Connecticut. So I just hated the culture there. I thought if you were gung-ho about getting into fun being a finance person mm-hmm. at 16 something was wrong with you and there's something evil about the whole thing you know and I put such <laughs> such a romantic idea on the opposite world 
that I, I over, I just overdid it, you know? And so I, and I, I finally realized like at 40, like I have no business instincts, ideas or anything at all. This is, this mm -hmm. is a problem. And I labeled all these people as terrible people. And, you know, I shouldn't have done that. You know, I just, I, just, I and now I'm, I'm, I find myself more drawn to the business section of the New York Times than the art section. And it's kind of a, a weird, wow, a weird thing. Something I could relate to that is I went through a thing where I was like, it was a few years ago when I was like trying to pull things together and I was like taking the GREs and stuff and, um, you know, paying off my credit cards and, and cause I was in a similar thing where it was just art or bust. Who cares about the a real world adult world? And then you like, and then I was like, all right, I'm going to figure this out and try to be responsible. But then I realized that like, nobody's, there's nobody who's like there at the finish line for you when you do that. That's like cheering you like, oh, <laughs> you're entering the adult world. Welcome. Here's your, <laughs> here's your, we've got this little tote bag with all the things you're going to need. People are just like, yeah, whatever, man. Yeah. We've been responsible for years now. Yeah. Welcome to the party. Yeah. Hope you had yeah. fun making your record. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I think a lot, some of that is that there's some resentment that, you know, I mean, this is, I think I heard, what's her name, Leibowitz, talk about how every Republican, you know, s secretly hates the world because they were never able to, like, be the high school actor that they wanted to be, mm -hmm. you know, or like, they just, there's like, you know, there's that feeling that they maybe didn't pursue something of passion and, and knew that they were kind of making a deal with the devil early on and it mm -hmm. kind of makes them this kind of villainous Republican that we think of, you know, or like Mitch McConnell, um, somebody like completely devoid of personality. I think on the flip side of that is, is I feel like I'm all Robin Williams and no... <laughs> Um, Pierce Brosnan in, in, that, in Mrs. Tapfire, where, you know, like, I, I do feel like as a kid, you watched Hollywood movies, the lesson was Bill Murray, you're a white, you're a white young kid. The, here's, here's what, here's your choices. You could be the silly, cool guy who doesn't take life seriously at all, or you could be this stiff, um, you know, business person. You could be, you could be, Crocodile Dundee, mm -hmm. or you can be, um, I don't know, every like straight laced, waspy, you know, character. Yeah. And I went all in on the other one, and then was like, then felt like I got like a a, a rotten deal when I woke up and I was like, oh, I have no money, <laughs> and I'm not in any. Uh, I'm not in any kind of creative hotbed that's like, you know, a community or uh, I'm not making money doing this. It's, this is, this isn't, this is, I feel suckered. Yeah. Well, a couple things that that makes me think of. One is, as far as those kind of depictions, too, in, in movies and stuff, there's no, um, like the, the straight laced uh, businessman, you know, isn't a compelling character so 
you so the you know for for drama and conflict you you need the the guy who kind of bucks the the system you know we were just watching uh my wife had never seen point break we watched it last night yes i'm familiar with point break yeah and um you know when i watched that as a as a kid keanu reeves was cool and and that his cop character and and uh you know the the whole cool idea that the cop and the criminal are two sides of the same coin and he's got this uh boss that's the guy who says you're young dumb and full of uh you know um (laughs) language yeah and uh and that guy seems like is it gary Busey? no I oh, always thought partner. it was Gary Busey who said that. Yeah, but the, the, it's the um, that's his boss um, who says that, and his boss is kind of riding him hard and and doesn't you know wants to stick to the rules, and uh, and now watch looking back at that, that boss is you know he's a bit of a jerk, but he's right, you know <laughs> can't uh, you can't just go. The idea of like the rogue cop who who breaks the you know who thinks that they can choose which rules they're going to break like that's what's gotten us into a lot of trouble with policing you know it's like oh yeah you gotta right it's not cool it's not like a compelling drama but you gotta do things by the book because who's to trust this rogue cop right. <laughs> you know right. Because it's not actually Keanu Reeves; it's some dude from Staten Island. You know, it's like right. So that's one one thought I have. The other one I've been talking about on the show recently, and I'm interested in your point of view because this kind of relates. Is like um, thinking about your unlived lives, and this both relates to not being able to sleep and with what you're saying about joining the business world at age forty one is. When I can't sleep, sometimes I'll I'll play a game with myself where I say, okay, where do you go back and tell little Johnny or little Tommy, like what advice, what, what are the pivot points where you could have, uh, you could go back and give some advice, right? Mm-hmm. Like um, go back and, and I'd tell myself, you know, don't, um, I stopped. I stopped. I was in plays all through elementary school, and then I stopped because uh, I had bad acne, and I mm-hmm. and I felt uncomfortable getting up on the stage. But if I could go back and be like, "Look, nobody cares if you act like you don't care that you mm-hmm. have zits on your face. Nobody else is going to care. Mm-hmm. You're good at this. Just keep doing it. Screw screw anybody who makes fun of you, calls you pizza face." And I guess the the caveat with this game is I'm happy with where I am. I, you know, I love my wife and my, you know, I wouldn't give this one up. But in this game, you can do both, right? You can also mm-hmm. see what that life would have been. Mm-hmm. What are the, where would you go back and, t- and tell little Tommy? <laughs> Boy, I don't know. I mean, that's, you really hit me with the, acne at that age yeah i'm trying to think of a situation where i didn't do something because i was ashamed 
Because it's like what you were saying with the with what Fran Lebowitz said, where it's like that they, you know, the Republicans didn't. Everybody's kind of being who they are out of some deficit, you know, because of something that they didn't do or they were afraid to do. Yeah, I think more about romantic impulses as a mm-hmm. kid, you know, just not acting on anything, no ability, and that kind of like regret where you yeah. just felt like you were a mutant and you really weren't. But in my head, yeah, you know, it's it's awful. You look back at the pictures and you just think this healthy young person thought that they were completely disgusting. I yeah. wish I could go back and tell tell that person that you know you're not. Um, I think that's, you know, part of the brutality of puberty. And, and I don't know, I don't know, I don't know how that gets fixed. I mean, I feel like parents can do everything they can, but when you're in the, uh, the trenches, yeah, it's hard to, uh, to build the confidence, you know, uh, I mean, I, and I know people that are very confident and are extroverted and they suffered through that too. If they, especially if they had, you know, a very bad case of acne. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's just a, one of those things that's just very tough because every conversation you have, you feel self-conscious. Yeah. It is a very, is a very hard thing to, to go through, but you know, builds character. It's, and it makes, keeps you humble and, you know, gets you, and, and you know that it's just a, something you, that will end. And you, yeah. You know, go, go, go. Well, that's the, that's the hard thing though. Uh, the other, everything you've said, and then the, the extra layer of, of being an adolescent is that you don't feel like it will end because everything's the most intense, like that it will ever be. Your, your brain chemistry is such that you're feeling emotions and hearing music and at, at like a, a level that you never will ever again because of, you know, that part of your brain's developed, but then you don't have the prefrontal cortex to put things into perspective. And so you just feel like the way that you feel now is how you're always going to feel, you know? I wonder, you know, how much is normal and how much is symptomatic of deeper issues, you know? In a bigger picture, I see my, you know, I teach sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth graders this year. And I just see them going through that same thing, especially my eighth graders, where they'll just, they hit this. My seventh graders in class are all talkative and like want to bounce back and forth ideas and be creative. And then my eighth graders just walked in in on the first day. Everybody's on guard. Everybody's you know, wants to seem cool, doesn't want to seem overly exuberant and seem like a dweeb. And it's just, I just see how they're in this turmoil. You think it's, it's even greater because of social media. Yeah. And the, and you know, we're, we're in school half the time, but we're all in masks and stuff. So the social media and the quarantine and lockdown stuff. I don't think we we have any handle on on what this pandemic is doing to us. Just in the same way that like the Black Lives Matter stuff couldn't have happened in the way that it happened this summer. The I don't think that the the what just happened in the Capitol would have happened without the lockdown and how how isolated people oh, are. Right, right. You know. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. 
can't believe I didn't think that. I hadn't either. And I hadn't seen anybody else mention it, but it's like people are off in their heads, making weird connections where they're not interacting with other people to kind of bring themselves to ground themselves, you know? Yeah. It's, it's exacerbated with. Well, you know what the aliens are trying to tell us? They're trying to tell us that technology is bad. They came Mm -hmm. down and they told us. I don't know if you've seen the new movie out. There's this documentary out that is actually the most persuasive. I'm not like a UFO person, Mm -hmm. but we were desperate to find something that wasn't like disgusting or gross, which is hard to find these days on like Netflix or. Yeah. And um, we stumbled on this this documentary, and um, you know, it featured like Harry Reid and um, John Podesta and some other people. We were like, okay. It was very persuasive that we have been visited and that these aliens are the traditional like little green men with giant eyes and that they are warning us about technology. <laughs> and I don't know, there's, I think the, the more likely scenario is that, you know, those recent videos, I'm assuming you've seen the military posted. No. You haven't? The New York Times did a big story on it. On uh, UFOs? On UFOs, yeah. They did a big big cover story um, on these Navy pilots um, witnessing and taking footage of crafts that look kind of like a big tic-tac that were going super fast and rotating in ways that were uh, impossible. Mm-hmm. And you hear the pilots in real time reacting. And they're freaking out. They're delighted, but they're like mystified. You haven't heard it. This is all news to you. This is all news. Yeah. Wow. I can't believe it. A lot of other things have been going on. You know? <laughs> this is the hot story, John. <laughs> Come on. Aliens. What's bigger than aliens? Why do they? So, say- sorry to add to the, to the list. Yeah. A little warming pandemic uh, insurrection. But yeah, we are being visited by aliens. <laughs> hey, that might, you know, that doesn't seem too bad on the list. Like, you know, that might yeah. be a positive. Would and do, they're, they, they're friendly and they, they're trying to help us. Do they? Well, it seems like they would have to be to, you know, what? what's the alternative that they were like, that there's some kind of sick, like imperialists who want to come to. <laughs> this little tiny speck of of a planet and like and sl- like why do they care if they have the technology to get here right why would they have like you know what because they they're desperate for fuel 
and they yeah. need more fuel to survive. <laughs> yeah. 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 Did they say, did they talk about like how, what the benefit of being like little and green with the big eyes? Like why, why is that? Uh... There's a, there's an account of um, a school of kids in Zimbabwe that said that um, one of these things came down and someone came out and looked at them and then telepathically communicated to them. And the kids are, are, you know, they're kids. They're not, they're, I don't know what the hell happened. I don't know what they think they saw, but yeah. they're, there's kids don't lie. Like, especially all of them about the same yeah. thing. And I mean, they lie, but not like in this yeah. kind of way. And so there's a big story that happened in the press uh, interviewing those kids and then in the documentary they revisit the kids who are now adults and talk to them it was really powerful yeah. isn't that a little hypocritical of them saying that they that technology is bad when they're using technology to have these amazing ships that can do all this crazy stuff and travel through like <laughs> light years i know i i thought that too uh, i mean i'm paraphrasing with the kids the kids are you know not really making sense but like the sentiment that they're trying to communicate was was powerful. I, I, I can't answer that question. That's a very that's a very good question. All right, well, buddy. All right, man. Good talking to you. Yeah. And, and um, uh, I'm excited to hear the new tunes. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, well, definitely, definitely going going into my Neil Diamond uh, style. <laughs> good. Yeah. I'm excited. All things all things good that are Neil Diamond and tripping good. all the things that are bad that are Neil Diamond. Well, there's a lot there. <laughs> I mean the good part. Well, both, but yeah. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye, buddy. Bye-bye. Let's close out the show with a song by pianist Sam Harris, who I first got to know as the pianist for Ambrose Akinmursere. And Sam's new record 
is called Solo. And it is a balm for the senses and the heart in these troubled times. It's beautiful. Let's hear the opening track off of that record. And I'm so happy to say that I will be talking to Sam on next Race to the Bottom about his already amazingly prolific music career. So tune in for that next week. Tell a friend. Shake a hand, shake a hand now. If you're listening to the show on your computer, you can download the app for your Android or your iPhone. They work great. Consider going to the website and dropping us a few dollars and signing up for the newsletter. And then you might want to pop on by City Running Tours slash NYC slash New York City who sponsored uh, this and all the programming these days on Radio Free Brooklyn. Thanks so much to City Running Tours and I'm running out of time. I will see you guys next week. Peace. Peace.